0: Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. On today's episode, we're going to speak with Erin Jackson. Erin is the creator of We Are Donor Conceived, a resource center and website created in 2016 for donor-conceived people around the globe. Erin is a freelance writer and a donor-conceived rights advocate. At age 35, she found out from her parents that she was conceived using donated sperm. Despite her best efforts, she did try to meet her biological father, however, was not successful as he was not interested in communicating with her. She did discover, however, she had a half-brother. It was all a shocking experience, and it inspired her to create the community and resource We Are Donor Conceived. Erin wanted other donor-conceived people to benefit from the resources she had amassed in her own search. We Are Donor Conceived has a Facebook group and an Instagram channel showcasing donor-conceived children's stories. It's also a place where donor-conceived people can share their stories with each other. And the general public to inspire greater understanding about the unique challenges donor-conceived people experience. We're going to talk with Erin about her own experience, talk about insights from a recent donor-conceived children survey, and discuss what ethical participation in the field of third-party reproduction looks like. Welcome, Erin. I am so excited to be speaking with you today.
1: Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. I'm excited as well.
0: Awesome. So It's, like I said, it's exciting to have you on the podcast. And although our listeners heard me tell a little bit about you already, would you share a bit about yourself?
1: Um, Sure. I'm a freelance journalist in San Diego. I moved here 10 years ago from um, the cold wilderness of Canada, and I am living the dream. Writing about food, and I organize charity events to lift up the local community through a nonprofit that I funded. And uh, in addition to all of that, I somewhat accidentally founded the largest online community for donor conceived people when I was 36.
0: Yeah. And that, uh, so that definitely brings us to so much to talk about with We Are Donor Conceived. But before I hop into it, I'm curious. So before your mother telling you about the big news, did you have any suspicion or random hints which made you question the validity of your offered genetic history?
1: I did. Yeah, there were a couple of times I asked my mom if I was adopted. Um, I think when I asked, it was more to get confirmation that I wasn't. I I wouldn't say I had a strong feeling that I was. I just knew that that was a way that people created their family. And looking around the kitchen table at my family, I, I could see my sister directly across the table and I was looking at her blonde hair and blue eyes and thinking about how we look nothing alike and just kind of in my mind being Confused about how I got there. Basically, the math of mom plus dad equals me didn't really add up. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Do you think, had they not told you that you would have eventually figured it out or, you know, have done a DNA test or find
1: out perhaps in an even more shocking way? I definitely would have taken a DNA test. When I took a 23andMe test, it was $200. Uh, And the price just kept going down. So I know at a certain point I would have said, oh, let's just do it for fun. You know, it's kind of nerdy and cool to find out what you could find out from your spit. So Mm -hmm. um, there's absolutely no way I would have gone my whole life not figuring this out. And I'm really glad I found out the way I did because while it was extremely shocking, I did have the support of my mom and she told me in a loving way. Uh, And it would have been a lot more disturbing to find out from a DNA test uh, after she died or something like that. I think that's probably the worst case scenario.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, most definitely. And um, well, since you did the 23andMe test, obviously, I'm assuming after you found out about um, your situation, found out that you had a half-brother, which I'm sure is big news, of course, that I want to talk about. But it also reported that you are of Ashkenazi... Jewish descent. And I presume you didn't identify as a Jewish person previously. So what is it like to learn about these, you know, various aspects of your genetic identity that literally, you know, all your life, you know, at that point, you had no idea.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely didn't suspect I had Jewish ancestry. That was one of the things that I was wondering about uh, in the time that it took me to get my results back. And I did order a test the minute i hung up the phone with my mother after she told me the truth because i realized i am missing a lot of medical information and i don't know where i come from and i wanted to know whatever i could find out from that test so i remember working out at the gym in front of a big mirror and just staring at my face and thinking what what am i (laughs) where does my face come from Uh, As someone who grew up in a really multicultural city in Toronto, I would have people ask me, are you Greek? Are you Italian? Are you Portuguese? Like every ethnicity really. And it kind of became this funny game. And I would report back to my mom and she would always have a weird look on her face, but she was amused by it too. Um, So when the Jewish results came back, that actually Had a lot of uh, meaning for me because I grew up in a community that is predominantly Jewish. Um, The friends I went to high school with were almost all Jewish, so I had a lot of familiarity with the culture, and um, and I was surrounded by Jewish food and uh, you know synagogues and stuff. So I did have a direct connection to that revelation, but it, it has been something that I struggle to integrate into my identity because I. I feel like I can't fully claim that uh, because of the nature of my conception, because, you know, people, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to claim this um, person who doesn't want anything to do with me as my biological father, and therefore difficult to claim the, sure. the the Jewish identity along with it. So my response has basically been to bake a lot of Jewish breads and eat them and eat my feelings. <laughs>
0: I love that. <laughs> and I love bread. So I totally, I totally get where you come coming from. Like, that's my soft spot is bread and barter. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. So digressed. Um, so, it, and I'm curious, you know, going through and finding this out, obviously it was clearly a shock and I'm sure you probably went through every emotion that there is But what was your experience like after, you know, you found out in what you really had to kind of walk through um, then to even get you to the creation of We Are Donor Conceived?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, when I first found out, it was a shock, but it also made perfect sense at the same time, which is kind of a weird feeling to experience. Um, I was excited. It was like a big mystery. Uh, it was an amazing plot twist. And as someone who is a reader and a writer, I really appreciated that that happened in my own life. I mean, talk about talk about an exciting, you know, turn of events. Right. So, uh, you know, when I took the DNA test and I and I discovered a half brother, that really changed the whole uh, trajectory of my experience. And it for a long time, it became about me and him. And the instant and powerful love I had for him, which was immediate and really took me, you know, off guard the The fact that I could look at a photo of, of someone who was a stranger to me the day before and feel an intense connection to him that was you know, like an intense platonic love was something I didn't even know was possible. And that defined my experience being donor conceived for a long time. it was it was the two of us, we were figuring things out. Uh, in the background, my husband was pe- piecing together my DNA results and trying to get to the identity of the donor. And um, at that time, I was not even mentally prepared <laughs> to deal with that on my own. I, I felt like my brain was a pile of sand. And um, it was uh, the first six months were basically a blur at where I felt four or five different feelings at the same time. I was bursting into tears randomly, tears of joy mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, just sitting on the couch with tears rolling down my face, thinking about how amazing life is. You know, that was the <laughs> that was the beginning. And we are donor conceived. The the part that what started it all is going online and listening to other people's stories and realizing I'm one of many people who's having this experience. Even though it feels so unique and personal, it's actually somewhat universal among people who are created this way. And I thought it was important that people know what donor-conceived people go through and what our reality is like, um, because it's a lot more complicated than the story the art industry tells. And um, that's what led me to create We Are Donor Conceived.
0: I'm curious what your initial intention was in creating the platform and if it has shifted at all from when you first started to now.
1: Right. So my... Initial idea for the website was to have it be a resource center. So the next person who got this shocking news and is Googling, I'm a sperm donor baby or something, could find all of the information that I found when I did that exact same thing. So there's a resource page that is full of links to documentaries, newspaper articles, and research studies, et cetera, et cetera. That was the original purpose. Then I decided I should really be telling the stories of donor-conceived people. So I have a, a, a handful of personal narratives on there. And I decided I should create a Facebook group to share this content so people could find it in another way other than just randomly Googling. And my original intention for that Facebook group was purely to create and disseminate the web content. And it ended up turning into this... Multinational, multi-generational support group for donor-conceived people all over the world. And I kind of just let that happen because that's what people needed. And so that's what it became.
0: Yeah. What do you think your primary goal as an advocate for donor-conceived persons is?
1: Um, I want uh, parents, donors, and people working in the art indi- industry to center the needs of donor-conceived people and really... Um, create practices that put our best interests first.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that I definitely agree with. And we're, we're going to touch on that in a second. But first, I wanted to talk about a survey that you created, which was designed to provide greater understanding about the feelings, perspective, and experiences of people conceived via donated gametes or sperm. And the survey attracted responses from people born in 15 different countries, including Australia, South Africa, Belgium, Norway, UK, and then the majority of respondents from the U.S. and Canada. Did anything surprise you about the results you received?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been doing the survey since 2016 annually, and each year the amount of people who respond has grown. And... Um, Some of the the new questions I added to the survey this year really relate to anonymity and um, the effects that has on donor-conceived people. And one of the things I asked this past survey was whether people believe that anonymous donation agreements have harmed them personally. And 70% of people said yes. And... um, that um, It didn't surprise me, given listening to people talk in, in the Facebook group, but I really think that should be underlined in red. I mean, if you want proof that things need to change, there it is right there. The majority of donor-conceived people believe that anonymous donor agreements should be abolished because they are essentially a human rights violation. We believe we have the right, just like anyone else, to know our genetic identity. And that includes knowing the identity of our biological parents and all of our siblings. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. And according to your survey of those raised by heterosexual parents, only 11% learned about their origin as a child. What do you think about that, especially where for the longest time, it really was predominantly the heterosexual parents that were utilizing either sperm donor or egg donors.
1: Yeah, it goes to show you that a lot of people thought it was optional to disclose and that it was their choice and they could make that choice for their family. And I think that's crazy, knowing what I know now, knowing how important It is to know the truth for myself. I cannot believe that anyone would convince themselves that this is a secret they can keep because it means lying to your child for their entire life. You cannot uh, not tell without lying. And uh, that has been the hardest thing to deal with for me personally. I feel I felt betrayed by my mother and I love her more than anyone in the world. That was the hardest part of my... Donor conceived journey, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So, um, that has to change. And I, I, the data also shows that since the 90s, the rates of, um, you know, being open with children who are conceived this way has improved. But I still think the majority of donor conceived people don't know. And um, we welcome new people into the Facebook group every day who have found out the truth from DNA testing and, um, they are all interested in learning more. It's, it's not uh, a small fact about who they are. It's a big life changing deal.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, so I, I, I've shared this with you previously. So I've been an egg donor six times. And this past October of 2020, I um, spoke to, um, or excuse me, rather, the one of my intended parents shared with their daughter. Um, that she was donor conceived. And then in November, they reached out to me because it was a known donation. And so we kept in contact. Uh, she reached out to me. Um, she, the intended mother, reached out to me and was like, we've told her and she wants to speak to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told me too, when we ended up speaking, that her thing was, I always knew something was different. I just couldn't really pinpoint what it was. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and I just felt that there was something missing. Um, and I, I saw that my mom and I were very different. I just didn't know, you know, and she's still an adolescent. So in her mind, I didn't know how to put all these pieces together, but I sensed something. What was your experience?
1: I felt like growing up that I was an alien unicorn from outer space, and um, no one in my family was like me, and I was fine with that. Um, I was very secure in my weirdness and my uniqueness, and I, I went through life just thinking, okay, well, I'm one of a kind, and that's okay because I like being me. Uh, I definitely felt there was something different about me and finding out the truth was extremely validating because it told me I was right all along. That little voice in my head that was, you know, just just felt like something was off in a way I couldn't put into words was correct. And um, that's been one of the best parts of the experience, just validating my own intuition and trusting that. Yeah,
0: what would you say to the parents that are making these decisions and you know moving forward with working with a donor, um, whether sperm or egg or even embryo donation, but are afraid to tell their children or uh, don't even know when to start um, and how to start? What what is your thoughts there?
1: I think that this industry has a long history of fear and shame built into it. And that has led to really bad outcomes for donor-conceived people. And any parent who's considering using a donor should probably seek therapy to address those concerns that you mentioned before they make a decision. Because if you're making a decision that's based on you know fear or anxiety or insecurity, it's probably not going to be in the best interest of the human being you create. And if you listen to the voices of donor-conceived people, you will hear very loudly that we support uh, donation and requirements that are open from birth. Um, Open at 18 really translates into 18 years of anonymity, and that is a lifetime in in the context of a donor-conceived person. So um, I would say, yeah, address your, your fears and go about creating a person in a way that centers their needs and their experience. Yes.
0: Um, And going back to the industry professionals. So on your Twitter account, uh, tweeted back in 2019 during an ASRM conference. um, And you wrote, hey, ASRM 2019 attendees, here are a few things to consider from a donor conceived person. Disclosure is not optional. Anonymity is dead. And that's a good thing. Donors matter. Siblings matter. And no one needs a hundred of them. Uh, Donor conceived people are people. So tell me about this tweet, because again, the industry does have a significant responsibility and impact on these decisions that are made.
1: Right. Um, Thank you for quoting that. Uh, That was one of my (laughs) favorite tweets of all time, really. There is a sense uh, among donor conceived people that the industry by people in the industry are responsible for acting ethically. And that's actually a question that was on the latest survey. And I think something like 92% of people agreed with it. So I hope industry people who are listening know that we think this is your job. Uh, you have a responsibility to act in the best interests of the human beings that you create, and that includes everything that I mentioned in that tweet. Uh, we need we we need to have the right to know our genetic identity if we choose from day one, and we really need to know who our siblings are and to not have you know really more than ten of them, and that's because. We want to form, a lot of us want to form relationships with our siblings, or at least know who they are so we don't form relationships with them, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in April of last year, during National Siblings Day, you have you had said, quote, National Siblings Day has me thinking of all the donor-conceived siblings I have yet to meet with the biological father we share. Big feelings on a rainy day. Glad the house is full of treats, end quote. What does it feel like to suspect that you have siblings out there who you do not yet know and maybe never will know?
1: Um, On the positive side, it's kind of exciting knowing that someone might enter my life at any moment. That's also really difficult to wrap my head around because it really is like I could check my 23andMe results as soon as we finish this interview. There could be a new person there, right. and every time a new person shows up, I go through the whole the same cycle of emotions. Every time, you know, you're afraid because you think, "Oh crap, am I throwing a grenade into this person's life? Like, do they know they're donor conceived? How are they going to take it? Um, how are they going to feel about me doing that? And what comes next? There's just so many unknowns." And, you know, if I think about it too much, I can go to a dark place and it really feels dehumanizing uh, because all of this was done on purpose to me without any thought of, uh, you know, my emotional needs and all my siblings' emotional needs. We really should have known each other from day one, from the moment we're born. And the complicated part about meeting new siblings, and this has happened every time, as much as there's excitement, there's also grief because you're aware of all the time you've lost. And, you know, I'm 40, that's a lot of time lost. We missed out on so much in each other's lives. And so a lot of it is just trying to make up for lost time and knowing we never will.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you said anonymity is dead and that is a good thing. Would you share for people who may not know what that means, what it actually means, or what did you mean by it?
1: Yeah, what I mean by that is commercial DNA tests have changed the game. Um, Those um, agreements that people sign when they're donating eggs or when they're buying eggs are fairly, you know, inconsequential. It says it's anonymous. Uh, My husband was able to determine the name of my biological father through a I think it was like a second cousin once removed match on 23andMe. Um, I think in the survey, I have some data about this. If you would just bear with me. Yeah. So, in the survey, there's a section called The Widespread Impact of DNA Testing. And I wrote DNA testing has effectively ended any promise of donor anonymity. Among survey respondents, 78% said they have successfully identified their donor through DNA testing sometimes with the aid of genetic genealogy and or search assistance. And 9% learned the donor's identity from a sibling. So uh, as more people do these DNA tests, it'll be even easier for people to connect the dots. Some people have taken a DNA test and been immediately matched with the, with the donor. They're right there already, so they don't even have to look. So that's what I mean when anonymity when I say anonymity is dead. Uh, you cannot be anonymous from your biological children in the age of commercial dna testing and i think that's a good thing because nobody should be it i think everyone has a moral responsibility to make themselves known to the human beings that they bring to existence
0: mhm mhm yeah cuz and you shared the statistic that 70 to 90% of donor conceived people alive today are not aware of their biology um and... I
1: don't know I don't know about that statistic. Did I say that? It's so it's so hard to say how many people don't know because you can't pull you can't pull people and ask them if they know something that they've never been told. But from all the research I've seen and a lot of it's based on guesses over 50%, which is pretty significant.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. Um And I know uh, you uh, published uh, on your Instagram channel recently where you shared a graphic with the words, you can't be a sperm donor without also being a biological father. And that so gave me pause. (laughs) That definitely gave me pause and really, you know, make you stop in your track and think about it. Um, Do you feel that, one, the business and medical institutions have purposely attempted to create this disconnect, perhaps to minimize the cognitive weight of their donations?
1: Absolutely. I think uh, the terminology the industry uses is intended to make their customers feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And uh, saying things like biological father definitely freaks out a lot of intended parents Mm -hmm although uh, it doesn't have the same effect for donor-conceived people. Uh, One of the things I asked in my survey was, what word do you use to describe this person? And the majority of people said um, biological father or biological parent. Uh, People do also use the word donor. Most people use more than one term. But to me, I mean, one of the things I did when I first discovered Mm -hmm. I was donor-conceived was literally look up father in the dictionary because (laughs) because I'm like, what is the dictionary definition of father and there's there's two one is a male parent and the second one is a man who has begotten a child so one definition relates to the social role and one relates to the biological role Mm -hmm. so for donor conceived people uh, we usually use biological father to differentiate the donor from the man who raised us if we were raised by a father and um, that, to me, that's that's a medical term. Um, it's accurate, and as I like to say, I don't call him my sperm donor because he never gave me sperm, nor do I want any.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I love that. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. but it's so true. Like, wow, that is so true.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly.
0: (laughs) That is so true. Um, So as of right now, ASRM, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine does not currently require the disclosure of donor conception. They encourage it, but they conclude that it's a personal choice each patient must make for themselves. How do you feel about this guidance? I mean, like, are you appealing to ASRM for a more strongly worded standard of disclosure for donor conceived children? Or, um, I mean, what is your thoughts on that?
1: I think that is terrible advice and will probably set up a lot of people to experience trauma. Um, People come into our group and they're adults and they are just finding this out about themselves. And there's a lot of feelings of betrayal for not being told. And um, there's, you know, people seek therapy as adults to deal with this fact. And if you are told young the likelihood that it will be experienced as a trauma is dramatically reduced. So the very best thing that parents of donor-conceived children can do is tell them when they are actually children before the age of three so they can integrate it into their, their identity. It becomes just what they've always known, and there's no big reveal later in their life. It's really like adoption you 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 know we we understand now that you don't wait until someone's 18 to tell them they're adopted because it kind of you know uproots their entire sense of self and can be really difficult to adjust to so uh, i i don't understand why the ASRM is saying that i feel like it's kind of a you know cover your butt uh message that allows them to tell their patients that they haven't option of disclosing. Um, But every donor conceived person will tell you, no, this is important to me. This is something I need to know about myself. And telling a child early allows them to decide what it means to them, because that's ultimately how that narrative is formed. You know, you have to give a person the option to interpret their own identity and integrate this information and go forward through their life.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, with you being a writer, you also published a wonderful magazine called We Are Donor Conceived, and I encourage our listeners to check it out. You did an amazing job. Um, And you actually have a full page spread on finding a therapist and talking about mental health support for those working through this. And I kind of wanted to point out mental health support doesn't need to be wait until you're an adult and then get mental health support. You know, what do you think about, especially with parents who are hesitant about telling their children um, from, you know, maybe from when they're young up until they're adults when they finally feel like, okay, I need to disclose it about seeking mental health support.
1: I think that maybe if they, you know, if they tell their children young, they could seek mental health support together as a family and have it be sort of family therapy. Uh, I think that would have been helpful in my case if, um, if I had, you know, the support of my parents to seek counseling and to actually participate in it as well. Because a lot of the times, like you said, you know, parents are afraid to tell. They have their own... Uh, issues that they might benefit from speaking to someone about. And uh, doing it as a family, uh, when a child is young, makes total sense to me. And
0: going back to you know the companies who profit from the sale, quite honestly, of reproductive material, um, in respect to the physical, mental, and emotional needs of the people they helped create, what would that recognition and respect look like specifically from your perspective
1: well I think it starts with abolishing anonymous donor agreements and setting a limit on how many offspring each donor can produce and along with abolishing anonymity there needs to be you know information sharing from day one Um, donor conceived people need to know who their biological parent is and who their siblings are and where they live so that they can uh, form the relationships that would best suit them. I don't know if that's a good enough answer. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to say. I mean, yeah. there's so much that there's so much that needs to change.
0: Yes, it really is. Um, I, and I do agree. And like I said, with me being a donor six times, my very first donation was anonymous, but my other subsequent donations were all open. Um, and to this day, I actually still have relationships with those other families. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel the importance of having that openness, especially again, you know, I just had it happen this past year with, um, you know, this donor baby that I always knew about, um, that my children also knew about. It's just that, um, you know, she wasn't aware of who I was, um, right you know, what would you say to someone who's considering becoming an egg or sperm donor?
1: Um, I would urge them to think about the needs of the person that they're creating, not just the intended parents that they're helping. I think a lot of people have trouble thinking about, you know, this tiny little bit of biological material becoming a human being with their own questions and needs. But you know, if you're an egg donor or a sperm donor, you are essentially uh, allowing someone else to raise your biological child in their family. And that child will be as genetically connected to you as the children you might have in a romantic partnership. And that means that those children will want to know the children from your other donations. They will probably want to know you, and they might want to know the children you raise. The thought that the industry treats them like, you know, I don't know, commodities upsets me as much as the fact that we're treated that way. So I, I'm really advocating for, you know, donors matter, um, donor siblings matter. Like I said in that tweet, it, it's it's all important. And, and uh, yeah, donors need to know exactly what they're doing before they donate.
0: Yes, yes, definitely before they donate, and it needs to be, and this is another area where the professionals in the industry um, need to do a better job in really informing them and providing them with information, as well as removing just signing, uh, going into a fertility clinic, doing a frozen egg cycle or a frozen sperm cycle, and you know, leaving your tissue, signing consent forms, and then that's it. You'll never know anything mm-hmm. else. And nor do they even give them information half the time.
1: Right. Yeah. You just never know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's part of the problem because then for donors, the idea of a donor-conceived child is like hypothetical. And you can sort of forget about it because you'll never know. So it's hard to, you know, it's hard to form an attachment to a person that might not even exist. But for a donor-conceived person, we know that person exists. That's a fact. We look at her face and we see features we don't recognize. And, uh, you know, it's very real for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What do you think about nature versus nurture and that, you know, argument there, I guess, depending on each person's perspective?
1: I think it's been presented as an argument, but it's it's always been both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the parents who raise you have a huge influence, but um, the DNA that's scrambled together before you're born determines so much about who you are. I mean, the way I like to say it is, one way or another, my parents were going to have a second child, but without this specific donor, it wouldn't be me. Mm-hmm. And actually, without this... That one individual sperm hitting a specific egg, I wouldn't exist. So, so much of who we are is this uh, like accident of science. I mean, um, I inherited a lot from my biological father, even though he had no, you know, no uh, impact in my upbringing. He didn't raise me, he didn't know I existed, but yet I inherited uh, certain abilities from him. I think I got part of my intellect from him my height, uh, the way my face looks, my Jewish features. I mean, it's hard to say that, you know, the DNA doesn't matter because of course it does. It it determines who we are. Do
0: you think the familiar uh, physical similarity, one that it matters, but that it should also matter?
1: Um, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> I'm just... I mean, it, it, it's powerful. Like when I saw a photo of my half-brother from the same biological father, I looked at his face and I said, that's me as a boy. That's me wearing a hat that is my face on your face. And it was undeniable the attraction that I felt to him because I recognized him as part of me. And the same thing happened with every subsequent half-sibling I've seen. Their faces look like home. They look like family. And, um, you know, it doesn't make logical sense that I feel so connected to them. but It makes emotional sense. And that's good enough for me.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, And I know you said it before, but so you feel that knowing your true genetic history is really a fundamental human right?
1: Absolutely
0: well, um, what advice would you give to parents, the professionals, the donors themselves um, like what do donor conceit people really want everybody else out there to to know?
1: I think um, anyone who's interested in learning, more about what donor-conceived people want them to know, should check out the 2020 We Are Donor-Conceived Survey report. I actually asked those questions specifically. So I have little reports on what donors need to know, what parents need to know, and what uh, art industry professionals need to know. And these are quotes from donor-conceived people all over the world, ranging in age from 13 to 70. So you can get a huge wealth of information just by reading that report and all of the attachments that go along with it. And I would encourage them to buy a copy of the magazine that I created. I mean, it really does a good job of telling the stories of donor-conceived people in their own words. And um, I think it could be eye-opening and possibly mind-blowing for a lot of people who haven't thought about what it's like to be donor-conceived. I can tell you from my own perspective, I thought this was something I would get over in a couple of months, like a breakup. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But it totally changed my whole life and my identity forever.
0: Well, to learn more about We Are Donor Conceived, visit the website at wearedonorconceived.com. And you can also find the information in our show notes. Erin, um, thank you so much for talking with me today and very informative Talk, because, like I said, you know, when I first became a donor, that it, I didn't think long term mm-hmm. in what that person who is eventually going to become a human being is going to want to know, need to know, and have a right to know.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, there you have it. I hope you found this discussion helpful as you weigh your next steps. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its new Instagram and Facebook channel at Family Inceptions. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.